morning. I'll be reading from John 9, 1 through 11. Jesus heals a man born blind. <clears throat> As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent us, to sent me. Night is coming when, we, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, and others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went there and washed, and then I could see. I bring you greetings from our district. As the associate superintendent, we, um, I think you know Steve Musser, our district superintendent, is retiring this year. So in October, at the district conference, we will be electing a new district superintendent. The man that they've chosen has been a pastor in our district for about 12 years. His name is Eddie Cole. He's been the pastor at Salem Evangelical Free Church on Staten Island, so he understands the mindset of the greater New York metro area. So that's good for us who come from this area. Uh, but uh, be praying for Steve and his wife, Georgette, as they retire. Uh, Steve's had a lot of physical issues this year that have um, taken its toll on him. And, um, well, all things are God's timing, right? He's looking forward to retiring and being able to serve the Lord in other capacities. Um, let me pray as we look at the word this morning. Father, as we open the word of God today, thank you that you have something to speak to us about. We pray that you would guide our eyes and our hearts, our ears, to understand what that is. And we'll thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the associate DS for the district, I have an opportunity to speak to a lot of churches in our district, talk to elder boards and pastors, and, and something that I'm hearing that's a growing fear out there is about the condition of our country and really the condition of the world. It just seems like more and more the world is, is uh, uh, falling further and further away from God. Perhaps you've realized that or seen that as, we, as you look at news reports about how um, the things that we just took for granted as, as the Judeo-Christian ethic are just being pushed away now in our country and in the world. And, and so people, pastors, elders, church people like yourself are, are asking me more and more, is the world coming to an end? Are we in the end days, the, the last days that the Bible talks about? And, and honestly, my answer always to them is, well, we've been in the last days since the day of Pentecost. So it's been 2,000 years we've been in the end days. And they go, okay, well, are we in the end of the end days? And then I have to say, honestly, I, I, I can't tell you that. 
because the Bible doesn't give us a day, an hour, when the Lord is going to return. But the one thing that we do know is that today we're one day closer than we were yesterday, right? And, and time is winding down. There is going to come a day when the Lord's going to return, when the age as we've known it today is going to be finished. And I think we all agree that our nation is walking away right now from our Judeo-Christian um, moral ethic. It seems like we're entering into a dark time in our culture, in our society, a perilous time, Paul refers to in uh, 2 Timothy 4, where we appear to be losing any sense of spiritual light and truth. And the culture is moving closer and closer into what we Christians would deem as darkness. But even more concerning to me is what pastors um, talk to me about, elders sometimes, a concern about where the church in America is heading. Not so much the evangelical free church, but the church as a whole. Where are we heading? It seems like the church is listening now more to what society says should be true than to what God's word and God says is true. And it's easy and easier now for churches to placate our culture. The church seems to be playing with darkness across America. I don't know whether you, you read the report this, this week of um, there was the very first Southern Baptist church where the, 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 the first Southern Baptist president, uh, that particular church where he had been pastoring, um, has now left the Southern Baptist denomination, and now they're ordaining homosexual uh, people to the ministry. And, and, you know, you think the Southern Baptists would not, well, the Southern Baptists haven't left that. This particular congregation has. Why do we play with the darkness? And I'm being asked, what, what can we do about that? As churches, as people in churches in a community like Rivervale, what can you do when you're seeing darkness? There's a, there are all sorts of programs that our churches are getting involved in. Some of you, uh, well, your church has programs. Every church has some sort of programming to it, don't they? You know, we, we've got discipleship classes. We've got kids' ministries. We've, we've got ladies' ministries. A lot of churches have a men's ministry. All sorts of different ministries out there, um, small group ministries. But what I find interesting is that the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about programs. You ever notice that? Programs come and programs go. What does the Bible talk about? The Bible. Well, the Bible talks about the church, you, me, going out and making disciples. Making disciples. If you turn to the next slide, please. There's a verse in, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62 that says that to be a true disciple, to be a true disciple, it's expected that you're going to put your hand to the plow and not look back. Now, that, that 
concept means that you have to go out from your house to where the plow is in the field and begin to plow the furrows. What happens when you look back when you're plowing? All of a sudden, the plow starts going like this, right? <laughs> no straight lines. But God has a purpose for us to be in the community, plowing furrows, making disciples, because the fields are white unto harvest. We need to be planting. We need to be weeding and harvesting for God's kingdom. The word lets us know up front in Luke chapter 9 that it's, there's going to be a commitment. If you're going to make yourself a disciple, if you're going to call yourself a disciple of Christ, one of the songs we sang this morning talked about, we love you, Lord. Over and over this morning we sang about our devotion to the Lord, our love for God. The word lets us know That there's a commitment that's going to cost you something if you truly are a disciple of Christ. It's not going to be easy to be a disciple of Christ. Luke 9 even talks about counting the cost of taking up the cross daily and following Jesus. You can't just come to church on Sunday and say, I love you, Lord. And then the rest of the week, there's nothing to it. You go back to living like everybody else in town lives. No. Discipleship means that you show with your hands and with your feet your devotion to Christ. We're called to be Christians as a lifestyle, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't know if you're like me, showing your Christian faith is easy when you're at church. Showing off Christ when it is easy is easy. But what happens when your neighbors or your coworkers or your classmates at school begin to, to mock you? for your faith. And they call you all sorts of names because after all, Christians are all those names that people are using today. What about when it means real persecution, like what we see over where ISIS is, where to be a Christian means your head's going to come off. Uh, Are you willing to be a disciple even then? Discipleship is costly because we are in a dark time in our world history. But it's also costly because in reality, if you say, I'm going to follow Christ, then Christ must have the priority of your life. Priority over your will. Priority over your ideas. Most of us come to church and we have an idea of what we want church to look like, and to be like. Christ must have that priority. 
Christ must have the priority of the plans that you're making for your life. Christ must have the priority over what you want. So that what you want is what Christ wants. That's what it means to be a disciple. Discipleship is living for Christ. It's not about just learning about Christ from a book or from a class, a course that we might teach at, school, at, the, at the church here, at Sunday school or some other program. It's about a life commitment, a surrendered will. It's a change of heart, a change of direction for the rest of your life. Does that sound easy? Not really. There's a cost to taking up your cross daily. So in a time of history when Christians are being martyred for their faith, when there's an advance of secularism in our society, when the Supreme Court is ignoring thousands of years of what the Bible has given to us and writing laws that are undermining the word of God, when we see the moral breakdown of the fabric of our society, when we begin to notice that there's a financial chaos that's taking place in our world, where there's wars, as the Bible says, and rumors of wars, and, and famine, and persecution of believers, it all begins to sound like the end of the time, the end of the age is, is very close at hand. And in the middle of all this darkness and where we would easily find ourselves in despair, God says that the Christian response to all of this darkness needs to be, and our next slide will show us, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, as you're going throughout your day, make disciples. Make disciples. Disciples. That's how you deal with darkness. Is by making disciples of the Christ who is light. As the end times approach, we're going to realize that time is short and that there are people who need the Lord and we, we better get to it. And Jesus believed that, even for his own ministry when he was walking this earth some 2,000 years ago. We read the story this morning of Jesus meeting a blind man with his disciples. The disciples asked about this man. Jesus said that this man is in darkness, was in darkness, not because of his sin, not because of his parents' sin, but so that the work of God would be displayed. And then he healed him. Next slide, please. Jesus said, in response to healing him, we must work the works of him who sent me. Jesus is speaking here about the Father sending him to do a job. And depending on the translation of your Bible, your Bible might say, I must do the works of him who sent me. 
But when you read the Greek for that first word, whether it should be I, Jesus alone, or we, his disciples, you and me, it's a plural. And even the King James commentary says a better translation is plural, we. So we must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day because night is coming. And we are closer to the night, spiritually speaking, than even when Jesus was talking, when no one can work. You know as well as I do, people in your, think about the people in your life, the people that you rub shoulders with who are in spiritual darkness. There are all sorts of people in spiritual darkness. And so what are we supposed to do with all of that darkness? Well, if you'd turn with me in your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 and 15. And if you'd turn to that next slide, please. Matthew 5, 14 to 15. Jesus answers the question of what should we do when we find ourselves surrounded by spiritual darkness with a simple story. It's a, it's a parable. You, you know what a parable is, right? It's not a true story, but it's a story that tells about truth. A parable is the parable of the lamp brightly burning on a lampstand to light up the night. Now, a parable is a word story. It's a, it's a word picture which uses an image or uh, an idea or a story of some sort to illustrate a truth, a lesson, that when we really pay attention to what that truth is, it's going to hit us right between the eyes because it's going to cause us, it's going to force us, it's going to insist that we take up a challenge. And the challenge of this story here, this parable, is to take up a light, a lamp, and brightly burn it on a lampstand. One person said this, why are you trying to fight darkness? You come into a house, you come into the church here at night. Have any of you ever come into the church here at night? It's kind of spooky. You're the only person in the building. The trustees know this, the pastors know this. You come into the church, there's no lights on. Boy, there's noises here that you never hear during the day, right? Well, when you come in and the lights are dark, what, you, you don't go, ah, oh, cut it out, darkness. Stop being so dark. That's never the proper response to darkness. Why argue with darkness? And this person was saying, uh, don't argue with the darkness. Bring light to it. And just see how quickly the darkness disappears. Christians, your job in the dark days of our culture, of our society, is not to run away from the darkness. It's not to hide. It's not to sit in your armchair and complain about how dark it's getting. Because that doesn't change anything. Just to complain about darkness doesn't do anything to the darkness. It's not, it shouldn't be to argue with people who are in darkness. 
Leave that to the politicians. Isn't it true? Politicians do a really good job about complaining and arguing with one another because both sides think that the other is in darkness. Leave it to those who are on Facebook. Are you on Facebook? I have a Facebook account. I got on Facebook because I wanted to be able to, to interact with some of my high school friends that I grew up with up in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is one of the most liberal places in the country. Most of them make Bernie Sanders look conservative, my friends from high school. But then I've got other friends who I pastored amongst here in Bergen County. And this is known as the Republican bastion around here, right? And so I've got people on Facebook that are all about the Republican Party, how great it is. And I've got other people who are all about the Democrats and how great they are. And sometimes, because I'm kind of in the middle between these two groups, they read each other's Facebook mail to me, and they start arguing with one another. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to turn Facebook off. <laughs> You see, as a Christian, your marching orders are to bring light to the darkness around us. It's not to argue about it. It's to bring light to somebody in the darkness so that the light, capital L, changes that person. Changes them into a disciple of Christ. A person who is not only a disciple following Christ, but making other people into disciples, who are then making even more people into disciples. So Matthew four, uh, five, chapter, four, uh, chapter 5 and verse 14 to 15 says, You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill that cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So here's a question that will wake you up and ask, I'm actually asking for a response. When does somebody turn on lights? At night, when it's dark. Very good. That wasn't so hard. When it's dark and you want to see you understand very quickly, you turn the light on because light dispels the darkness. Light dispels, it gets rid of the darkness. Next slide, please. John 1, 5 says this. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish the light. It can't. See, Darkness doesn't understand light. There's no light in darkness. Darkness is no match for light. And that's a key to understanding spiritually what you should be doing this morning when you find yourself in a dark situation, in a dark community. What's the parable saying to us? Whenever there is darkness, we should light the lantern and let it shine brightly. And just watch how the light 
changes the darkness. Too many Christians today are running away when they see cultural, social darkness. Too many people are not standing up and saying, I believe in the light. They're not shining. Sometimes they're hiding under a bushel basket because they're afraid of the the cultural persecution that might come their way. What does it mean to be a light, to to light the lantern? What, What should we be doing? Well, sometimes to know what to do, we need to understand what not to do. And so I brought a, a video clip, a short video clip for, for us to, to realize what not to do to make a disciple by Francis Chan. Let's, let's take a look at this. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, you, you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? But they memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. (laughs) My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. (laughs) She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said Talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I would start making disciples. Did you catch that? Francis Chan is a remarkable speaker. And what he's telling us here is when Jesus says, go make a disciple, go make a disciple. If there's spiritual darkness around you, you don't have a class about how dark it is. And so when your pastor comes back from vacation and the fall semester of church begins here, and he begins to talk about you, because we've been talking, he and I have been talking about discipleship. When he says it's time to develop disciples, here in Rivervale, I want to encourage you, don't start a class. Don't start a program where you learn about a disciple, but never actually go out and make a disciple. Too many of us know too much, and we do too little. So what are we supposed to do? The next slide is from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. As God's chosen people, And I think most of us in the room, if not everybody in this room, would say we are God's chosen people. You are to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. See, that's not so hard, is it? 
You can go to somebody. You can start with your husband or your wife or your kids or your grandkids and declare the praises of God. Did you hear about what God did this week? It's not hard to do. You can even do that with your neighbor who has no relationship with Christ and say, wow, God blessed me this week. My car was broken down and he supplied the needs that got it fixed. Fill in a blank. You can put whatever you want to in about how you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. It starts with knowing what God's word has to say. Psalm 119 verse 105 says this. It tells us, get into the word. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my what? My path. A light unto my path. God's going to show you what he wants you to do. He's going to show you who he wants you to go to to begin to make a disciple. He'll guide that path to that person. And my encouragement to you as a part of your church, as a part of our district here in the Free Church, is just don't stay in this building and think that that's good enough. Because that's hiding your light under a great big basket when there are neighbors all around us who need your light. You have the light. Next slide, please. Alistair Begg, who's a pretty famous preacher on the radio, says, Jesus hasn't come as the light to be hidden in darkness. So when you're out among people, point to the light. Don't point to the politicians. Don't point to the darkness. Don't point out a person's sin when you're sitting down at at a restaurant with them. Don't argue and fight against the dark. No. The flip side of that coin is shine the light. Just be a light shiner. Be a flashlight for Jesus. (laughs) Jesus will take care of the darkness that they're in. Praise the giver of light. Praise him and speak about the light. Shine for the Lord. You you might be asking, are you sure, Peter? You want me to go out and make friends with unbelievers who are in darkness? It's exactly what I'm saying. Absolutely. Next slide, please. John 17, verse 14 to 19 says, I, this is Jesus praying to the Father. I have given them your word, and your world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Do you understand what Jesus is saying about you today? He goes on to say, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Let me say that again, because that's talking about you. As you have sent me, 
God has Father has sent Jesus into the world, so Jesus is sending you into the world. Be in the world, but don't be of the world. Make friends with unbelievers. Don't start a program. Make a friend. You got somebody in mind? Maybe Jesus is wanting you to make a friend with that person. Put up with their dark ways. Be active in this world of ours. Just don't be like it. Make friends especially with those who seem to be the most deluded by the dark. That's where you need to shine the brightest because it's the darkest. That's what our parable says. Go go to the next slide, please. Again, Matthew 4. Be the light on a hill. Show forth the light. You are to be the demonstrative light in this dark world. So light your lamp. Any of you ever had one of those kerosene lanterns with the glass globe? When When you get the... The wick too big in it, what happens to the glass? Gets all black with soot, right? So let me encourage you. Start shining the soot off of your light. (laughs) And then light the lamp so that it will shine the brightest. Put it on a lampstand. 1 Peter 4, 5 and 6 says that Christ is coming back one day to judge For this is the reason, verse 6 says, for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to the human standards in regards to the body. You see, sin affects our lives and we're broken because of it and one day we will die because of sin. But it goes on to say, but to live according to God in regards to the spirit. Jesus has a plan And he has those that he has already decided will come to faith in him. He wants people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But judgment is coming. So now is not the time to be hiding the light. If you think as I do that the end days are getting closer and closer, understand it's time to put it out there. It's time to shine the light. It's Don't hide the truth just because it's hard for people to swallow the truth right now in our culture. Shine anyway. And watch how some will believe the light. Some will become followers of Christ. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like? Uh, Matthew 24 and verse 14, the next slide. Matthew 24, 14 says this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. I I believe that God today, in our culture, in our world today, knowing that time is getting shorter, is pouring out his grace upon us. He's pouring out his gospel into this world of ours in creative ways. 
You know, we, we, we had Billy Sunday and D.L. Moody and Billy Graham over, the, over the, our lifetime and even before our lifetime. I'm not so sure that there's going to be another Billy Graham, but there is, and put your name in, there is you. You can be a gospel bearer in your own life. These are times with so many opportunities to creatively live out the gospel. I'd like to give you some examples that are right here in our district. Part of my job is working with new church planters. And one of our newest church planters in our district is down in Richmond, Virginia. His name is Jeremy Chambers. Jeremy um, is a young guy. He's probably, probably around 30. And God has called him to go down to Richmond, Virginia, is considered one of the darkest cities in America. A lot of stuff happening in Richmond that's just dark, dark, spiritually dark. And he's decided that God has, he's realizing that God has called him not to reach people like you and me that would normally be in church anyway, but to reach the, the subcultures that are in darkness around Richmond. So he and his wife Monica have been walking around Richmond and they discovered a house that was a drug house. It was a place that was just filled with mattresses. And people come to take their drugs there and know they'll be safe in this house to take their drugs. And so Jeremy now goes to, that, to this house and he just hangs out with the people that are there every single day. He talks to them. He brings food sometimes. If they get into trouble medically, he'll bring them to the hospital. The people in this drug house have now sit, they realize who he is. Um, he brings light. He brings truth to their darkness. And they've asked him to start leading a Bible study with them. Imagine that, leading a Bible study to people while they're shooting up. But you see, God's calling him to have a missional group of people who aren't even believers yet so that he can bring light to their darkness. Any of you familiar with MMA? MMA boxing? He led a guy to Christ who's a professional MMA boxer. Those are the guys that they put them in a cage and they lock the door and they don't let you out until your arm is wrapped up around the back of your head and your, you know, your leg is pulled up and goes through your ear or something. I don't understand the MMA boxing, but it's a big thing. He led this professional boxer, this fighter, to Christ, and now this fighter, who's now a part of his new church, has matured to the place where he's an elder in his church. And this elder, this MMA fighter, goes now to the gym and is witnessing to all the other MMA fighters while they're practicing how to wrap somebody's head or arm around the back of their head. Amazing. Jeremy has discovered a, um, that there's a very large satanic rock and roll culture there in Richmond. And so he goes and hangs out with these young college students mostly who are into the satanic music, and he'll talk to them about music and about the words of their music and he brings light to the darkness. Jeremy has now, uh, I think it's 10 or 11 small missional groups of 10 to 15 people. None of them are believers in Christ yet. And yet they're all willing for him to come 
and bring light to their darkness. And some of them, well, not everybody is in darkness. Some of them are now coming to faith in Christ. And a, plant, a church is being planted. He and I had a conversation last week. He's, he's got a vision for planting three more churches down in Virginia now. You see, this is what it means being light in a dark, in a dark place. I want to talk to you about Danielle. Danielle plays in a girl band where she's the only Christian. And, and uh, she's often confronted by scoffers of faith when they learn that she is a Christian. So she wrote about this in, in, an, in an email. She said, um, I love to sing, and that's largely why I'm in the band. But I recognize that God uses it to put me in weird and wonderful settings to get me rubbing shoulders with people who are very different from me. Let me ask you a question. Your shoulders are probably likely to rub with other people very different from you, if you allow it to. What opportunities is God opening up for that? Who are you rubbing shoulders with? One more. One more example. This is my neighbor. I have a back fence in my backyard. I have a fence, and along my fence I've planted a garden, and I'm out there weeding and planting and doodling around in my garden because I like to do that. It's relaxing for me. My 87-year-old neighbor, Jan, um, she likes to come and talk to me while I'm weeding. Over six years, we've lived in our house now. We're in our seventh year, right? Six years, something like that. Over those years, I've developed a friendship with Jen. She comes and talks to me about her grandkids and about how she can't hear very well anymore and, and asking me about why my vegetables don't grow very well. <laughs> but we've developed a friendship. And last year, she, she said, you're a pastor, right? I said, yeah. She said, you know, I'm getting older, and uh, would you do my funeral when I die? So it's gone from my vegetable garden to I can now begin to ask her questions about, are you ready to die? Do you understand what it means to die? Well, what might this look like with you? I think you've heard me say this, so I'm going to say it one more time. It's not a program. Can you say that with me? Discipleship is not a program. It's what are you already busy doing in your life? I mean, we're not asking you to do, put, add one more thing to your busy life here. How many people have to eat every day here in the room? Oh, come on, some of you. A lot of people are on really strict diets here. We all have to eat. Well, why not invite your kids' friends over for pizza and invite their parents to come along with them? Begin to develop a friendship that way. Karen and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. One of our, one of our nieces, every Friday night, they just have taco night. And it's become known in their, in their community, if you want a taco, go to their house on Friday night. It's all there. And they have taco and talk. <laughs> Why not? How many of you like watching the game on TV? 
know, a few more hands went up that time. <laughs> you know? Unless it's the Jets. Invite your coworker over, the guy at work who likes to watch the game as well. Invite him to come over and watch it with you. How many here have a dog? The people in the back of the room are starting to raise their hands now. So some of you have pets, have dog. What's the one thing you have to do if every day if you have a dog? Walk him. Right. Well, Steve Musser, our district superintendent, he's living this out this way. When he has to walk his dog, he calls up his neighbor across the street. He hasn't figured out how to have a good relationship with him yet. And so he said, they both have dogs. So he says, hey, I have to walk my dog. You want to walk with me? The guy comes out and walks with him. You don't have to make it formal. Just walk and see what happens. See how it grows. Or pray for your neighbors as you take your walk, even if you don't have a dog. Karen and I walk our dog in, in a neighborhood across the street from us every day. And, and one day we were walking and a moving van came down the road. And we saw it pulling into this one driveway. And, and it, it was uh, uh, Jeanette and John, an older couple moving up from Alabama to be close to their grandkids in their last years of their life. And the grandkids were in the driveway of this house waiting for the moving van, and so we stopped and chatted for a couple of minutes. And we noticed the number on the mailbox, and we kept walking. And when we got home, Karen called up the pizza place and had two pizzas delivered to this family we didn't know. Well, that's developed now into a friendship. They, they came over to a an open house that we had for Christmas this last year. And it's developed into conversations we have as we walk our dog because sometimes Jan, uh, um, Jeanette is out there and um, she's struggling right now with a sick husband who's got cancer it's in the hospital. So we, we pray with her. I hope you understand that this is not about a program. It's, it's making friendships. It's building relationships with people who are in darkness. It's living out the Great Commission. As you are going throughout your day, make disciples. Lead them to Christ. Baptize them. Teach them to grow. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, it says this, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. And then the end will come. God is the light giver. He's pouring out his grace today. We are the light bearers. So think about those people in your life who are lost, who are in darkness. Are you a good enough friend with them to be a flashlight in their lives, to shine the light in the areas where they're struggling, where they're wrestling? The last slide, and then we'll close. John 1, 5 says, The light shines in the darkness. The darkness can never extinguish the light. Make this your prayer. Lord, make me a light in the darkness. Amen? Let me pray.
Father, we realize that in our world, it, it is getting darker. In our world, the end days are coming closer and closer. But it is still day. Even if it's dusk, Lord, help us to light the lantern of Jesus Christ in our lives so that people see that there is a difference between what we, who we are and what the world is trying to make us into be. And Lord, as you are the light, would you please begin to shine on our neighbors and on our friends and our classmates, our co-workers. Would you begin to shine your light on them and transform them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to take this message and to actually live it out now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.